So we can dive in Genesis chapter 36. Let's read verses 1 through 5. And if you're looking for any names for your kids or for your pets, maybe for your enemies, uh, here you got a great bunch of them. Uh, verse 1 through 5, it tells us now this is the genealogy of Esau, who is Edom. Esau took his wives from the daughters of Canaan, Ada, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, Aholibama, the daughter of Anna, the daughter of Zibion, the Hivite, and Basemath, Ishmael's daughter, sister of Nebajoth. Now Ada bore Eliphaz to Esau, and Basemath bore Reuel. Now Aholibama bore Jeush, Jalem, and Korah, and these were the sons of Esau who were born to him in the land of Canaan. In verse 1, we see that it tells us this is the genealogy of Esau, who is Edom. And Edom was simply Esau's nickname. That's simply what his nickname is. Esau, if you remember, his name simply means hairy. That's what his name was. He, he was born. Genesis 25, verse 25, it tells us the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over, so they called his name Esau. So again, there's three main reasons why he's given this nickname, Edom. Edom means red, right? If you have a friend that maybe they have red hair, you call them Big Red, or you have some other type of nickname for them. Uh, so here Esau, he's given this nickname of red in a sense. So first and foremost, he's given this nickname for either his skin or the color of hair at his birth. If you're reminded in Genesis 25, verse 30, when he gives up the birthright, it was for a bowl of beans. It was for a bowl of lenteja, right? And it wasn't normal lenteja. There's no pork in it. But instead, it was red lentils. So again, it was red lentils, and it was probably his favorite dish, his favorite stew. He gives up the birthright for it. And finally, you can write down Obadiah chapter 1, verse 10. Maybe you forgot there was a book in the Bible, Obadiah. Uh, but it's read for the violent character of his ancestors. For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. So again, what his dad cries out to him, and him not receiving the blessing, we see it come true in each and every facet of his life. We know Esau, he took wives from the daughters of Canaan. We see different names here for those same wives. So many scholars believe that he gave them new names, more Hebrew names or more names from his own people. And then we go to verse 6. Back in chapter 36, it tells us, Then Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, and all the persons of his household, his cattle, and all his animals, and all his goods which he had gained in the land of Canaan. And he went to a country away from his brother Jacob. For their possessions were too great for them to dwell together, and the land where they were strangers could not support them because of their livestock. So Esau dwelt in Mount Seir, and Esau in is Edom. So again, he goes out because of the great possessions and wealth that he had. And this should remind us that the Lord took care of Esau even though he wasn't the chosen one within the family. Because he was a part of the family of Abraham, because he was a part of that lineage, the Lord still took care of him and protected him. And now this should be a great reminder to us, 
Romans chapter 9, verse 13. You can write that down. A lot of people like to say this verse. The Lord says, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Romans chapter 9, verse 13. Last time we were in this portion of scripture, we also looked at Luke 14, verse 26. So we can get the proper context of the language. Luke 14, verse 26. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, his wife, his children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So again, the Lord, he had a more intricate plan for Jacob, but does that, that does not mean that he just casted away Esau or that he just got rid of him or he hated him with a fiery hatred. No, this is to say that we need to love the Lord more than our family. If we don't, we can't really be his disciple. The Lord still took care of Esau. James Boyce, he gives us this great reminder that if God blesses so abundantly those who are not chosen, what is the magnitude of his blessings for those who are? If non-spiritual people experience such outpourings of merely common grace, how great must the special grace of the regenerate be? And family, I don't know if you've tasted of that grace of God. Right, we, we saw the, the kids singing it from Lighthouse, just how good the Lord is, how gracious he is. Have you tasted of that? Is there true joy, true excitement in your heart? Is there true humility? Have you been blown away? Lord, I don't deserve for you to be so good to me. I challenge you, the places where we taste the goodness of the Lord, it's not in the naming it and claiming it. It's not in positive confession. It's not in double-checking our words so there's no negative comments out of our mouths. The greatest blessings of the Lord come when we dwell with Him, when we meditate in His Word, when we abide with Him. That's when we taste of the incredible blessings of the Lord. So Esau, he leaves Canaan and he dwells in Mount Seir. Now, this is very interesting because Esau, he has all of his children in the promised land. And yet he decides to move out of it. This is Esau. This is one brother. Now Jacob, he has all of his children outside of the promised land. And he decides to move into it. Now this should be a picture for us to look at our own lives. Our lives. Have we tasted, man, the evil of this world? Have we tasted how much it stunk and how bad it was to be outside the will of God? Outside this relationship of God? Outside this friendship with God? And now have we decided, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. As far as me and my family are concerned, we're going to dwell in the promised land, in the biblical land of following God's word. Or sadly, some of us, right, some of us as kids, we've simply tasted of the blessings of our parents because they've had biblical lives. They've followed the Lord, they've sought the word, they disciplined us in the word, and now we've developed almost a disgust for it. So we say, hey, I'm going to move outside the will of God. I'm going to go and get out of the promised land. And sadly, we see both of those truths today. But hopefully we are like Jacob. Hopefully we are really like Israel that we're governed by God. That we say, Lord, no matter what, I want to dwell in the promised land. Lord, no matter what, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So let's keep going. We'll read a little bit more of chapter 36 before we transition to chapter 37. 
Verse 9, this is the genealogy of Esau, the father of the Edomites and Mount Seir. These were the names of Esau's sons, Eliphaz, the son of Ada, the wife of Esau, and Reuel, the son of Basemath, the wife of Esau. And the sons of Eliphaz were Teman, Omar, Zephu, Gatam, and Kenaz. So again, this is going to close up Esau and everyone from his lineage. If we had time together, we could read through all the names, but time's getting away. So I give you homework to read this when you get home. You can write down a paragraph of what you got out of it, right? If your kids are having trouble falling asleep, you could read them this great story. It'll keep them at the edge of their seat, read through the rest of the chapter. But now we're going to jump into chapter 37. And here we will begin to see this man by the name of Joseph. And he's the last main character we will look at in the book of Genesis. And he's also one of the main, main characters in the book of Genesis. There are 13 chapters given to the life of Joseph. A quarter of the book of Genesis, right? The Lord, he tells us how he created the heavens, the earth, the universe in like two chapters. And now he's going to go 13 chapters through the life of Joseph. And he's an incredible man. We see 13 chapters dedicated to his life, its ups, its downs, and a lot of, right, we think of what's going on in our world, a whole lot of injustice towards him. James Boyce, he says, thus begins one of the remarkable life stories in the Bible and all of literature. He was loved and he was hated. He was favored and he was abused. He was tempted and he was trusted. He was exalted and he was abased. Yet at no point in the 110 years of Joseph's life do we ever see him get his eyes off God or cease to trust him. Adversity, it didn't harden his character. Prosperity, it didn't ruin him. Joseph, he was the same in private as he was in public. Truly, this was a great man. And again, family, in the day and age we live in, there's a lot we can learn from Joseph. There's a lot we need to be reminded of when it comes to injustice, when it comes to forgiveness, when it comes to love and grace and mercy. There's a lot that we need to be reminded of what God's word has to say on how we deal with things, on how we deal with things that are not fair. In this era, in this season, when everyone loves to paint themselves as the victim, Joseph truly was a victim. Not one time, not two times, at least three times in his life, point blank, simple, he's a complete victim. And yet he stayed pure, he stayed holy, he stays humble, he stays loving and forgiving, even to the very men who hated him, beat him, abused him, and sold him into slavery. So again, what excuse is there for us as the children of God to harbor bitterness? Or to say, Lord, I didn't get my way, so now, Lord, I'm not following you anymore. That person, they didn't say hi to me at church, so that's it. I'm not going to the 9 o'clock service anymore, right? Now that can creep into our heart, yet we look at the life of Joseph and we don't see that anywhere, family. One last thing on this idea, I was talking with someone during the weekend. We need to be careful painting ourselves or anyone truly as a victim. 
Because then what we're taking away is that my decisions are my own. What I'm reaping is me that's reaping it. So when we write off things because of what other people have done, or when we write them off to medical terms and things like that, we're writing off the need of the gospel and the lives of people. Because then my sins are not my own. My sins are happening because of what my parents did. My sins are happening because the way my brain is wired. My sins are not my fault. It's X, Y, or Z. And we need to be careful in doing this. There's injustice all over our planet. There are people with medical problems all over our planet. But we're each dealt a hand of cards, and now we got to do the best we can with it. So may we strengthen people, right? May we encourage people to do the best that we can and to know no one is without excuse. Our sins are ours alone, and we need to come to the cross and say, Lord, would you forgive me, not for my parents' sins, Lord, would you forgive me for my sins and mine's alone. So we dive in to Genesis chapter 37. Let's read verses 1 through 5. It tells us, Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and they could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. So again, we see this common theme through the life of Jacob, the life of Isaac, the life of Abraham. Same should be true for us as Christians as we've gone through the book of Hebrews. That he's dwelling in a land where he was a stranger. That this place, this earth is not our homes. We're just strangers. We're just pilgrims passing through. Our roots, our love shouldn't be attached to this planet. It should be attached to our true home in the kingdom of heaven. Now in verse 2, it tells us Joseph at this point, he's 17 years old and he's out feeding the flocks with his brothers. And he brings a bad report to his dad about his brothers messing around or maybe they're doing dumb things with the sheep, right? And he tells his dad what's going on. An important thing for us to be reminded of when we read scripture, sometimes we think it's some sort of just sterile environment. We forget that these are real people, that this is truly 12 different brothers with different moms and the same dad, that this was the second youngest brother. I don't know if you guys remember, Joseph, he has one younger brother. Do you guys remember his name? Benjamin. Do you guys remember what happened to Joseph's mom when Benjamin was born? She died. She passed away. So Joseph, for all purposes, he's already been dealt a hard hand. His mom passed away giving birth to his little brother at three years old, five years old, eight years old. And this had to have marked the life of Joseph. And yet he's there. He's in the field with his brothers. He gives a bad report. We don't know if he's a tattletale, right? We don't know if he's a snitch. 
Some scholars believe that Joseph, because of his character and attitude, he was the one in charge because all his brothers were always messing around. Some Bible scholars believe that. And looking at the track record of his brothers in the past few chapters, that very well might be the case. But verse 3, it gives us some problems that Israel, the father, is bringing into the family. It tells us, now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. So again, he has favoritism. He's falling to the same sins of his father Isaac, who fell to those same sins of his father Abraham. And now Joseph is his favorite. He has him in his old age. It was the wife that he truly loved. He served 14 years to marry her. It was her firstborn son, so he loves him more than everyone else. And now he gives him a tunic of many colors. Now, this wasn't just some super hip and expensive tie-dye cloth, right, that he got. Some tie-dye jacket that he got or a rainbow sweater that he got from his dad. This was a symbol of being given the birthright. This was a symbol of status. It's as if Israel gave all his sons a pair of uh, Dickies jumpsuits to work in the field. And yet Joseph, he gives them a custom Gucci suit or something, right? That's the picture that we're getting here. It was a symbol of status. It wasn't a workman's garment. It was a garment of high rank and high regard. Almost a slap in the face to all the older brothers who within their culture, they should have been the ones to have been given the birthright. Verse 4, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Again, this favoritism, it bleeds into the family and it causes problems. And I think many parents were like the disciples at the Last Supper. Not me, Lord. Right? Not me. There'd never be favoritism in my heart. Right, Lord? But if we're honest, if we look at Scripture, this is what we are prone to as parents. We may have different names for it, different adjectives for it, but this is what we're prone to. Again, question. Parents, have you ever witnessed friction between two siblings, between your own kids? Just me. I'm the only one, right? All your kids are perfect. They're all amazing. What's the first thing we do? Man, this kid is so bossy. Or that kid is so sinful. That kid always gets on the other kid's nerves. But how often have we thought, hey, perhaps my unfair treatment to letting one get away with murder and being super strict with the other one, perhaps my unfair treatment is what's causing problems between brother and sister. My injustice between siblings, my being more kind to this one or rougher on this one, it's what's causing the friction within the home. We just, I'm not there, right? I always think it's their fault, right? If we're honest, it's always their fault. It's, uh, it's problem with the spouse is their fault, right? But we as parents, we need to look in our lives and say, Lord, am I truly being fair? How God, he doesn't like favoritism. He doesn't like us to treat one person in one way and another person in the other way. He likes us to be equal as we love on people and care for people. And Joseph's brothers, they seem to hate him the more that his father favored him. And we need to pray about this. Again, as parents, Lord, help me to have that agape love for all my kids. The ones I get along with, the ones that have, man, I like fishing, they like fishing, I like fishing, they like sewing. Oh, Lord, how are we going to do this, right? 
how are we going to do this? Can we sew like a fishing sweater? Can we do something like this? Right, Lord, show me. Show me the way. We got to pray. And we got to say, Lord, show me how I can show your agape love to all my kids. And again, that bleeds into us as a family. As the family of God, is there favoritism in our heart? That all we want to do is spend time with certain people in church and then other. Who's going to be there? Yeah, I'm going to skip out on that church meeting, right? I don't think I'm going to go on that mission trip anymore because so-and-so is going there. We got to pray, Lord, search my heart. Search my heart. Reveal to me if there's any wicked way. So verse 5, it tells us now Joseph had a dream. And he tells it to his brothers. And now they hated him even more. Verse 6 through 8, now it tells us the dream. It tells us, so he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Again, family, we need to be wise and seek God for his timing. It's one thing that Joseph received a dream from the Lord. It's another thing to say, hey, these brothers that can't stand me anymore, have I got a dream for you, right? Guess what God just showed me, right? We got to pray. We don't know if that's exactly what was going in Joseph's heart, in Joseph's mind. At the very least, he lacked tact. At the very least, he lacked wisdom. But for many of us as believers, we lack the same tact and the same wisdom. Because just because the Lord shows us something or reveals something to us does not mean now we need to buy a billboard on Bird Road and write it down there. Right? Many times we hear a word from the Lord and instead of just being quiet and chewing on it, and praying over it and bringing it before the men and women that we are accountable to in our lives, we decide to tell everyone, right? That's dangerous. We need to pray to the Lord for his timing. I've mentioned that before, right? An alternate universe where Joseph keeps his peace, where he tries to win over his brothers, where he doesn't try to cause more friction and cause more problems, right? What would have happened if Joseph would have stayed silent and just waited on the Lord? We don't know. Uh, we don't know. But again, perhaps Joseph was trying to put some salt in the wounds of his brothers. They get even more mad. They're able to know right away what the dream means. They say, what do you mean that we're going to bow down to you? That we're, you're going to be the one in charge over us when it's supposed to be dad and Reuben, the oldest brother? What are you telling us, little brother? Who do you think that you are? And then in verse 9, it tells us that he dreamed another dream. And told it to his brothers. And he said, look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him. But his father kept the matter in mind. Again, family, we need to pray for wisdom from the Lord. It's beautiful. It's amazing when the Lord speaks to us. But usually there's wisdom in waiting and seeking the Lord more and more. Lord, is this really what you're telling me? Lord, reveal to me who I should share these things with. I'm reminded in the New Testament, it warns us to count the cost. 
to count the cost because sometimes there's a man who begins to build a building. He didn't count the cost. He has to abandon the building. And then it says all will mock him because he did not count the cost. There's a man out there. He's about to go to war. He needs to count the cost of the soldiers he has, the soldiers coming against him. If not, there will be great destruction. So for us, when we hear the Lord is speaking to us, we need to count the cost. And say, Lord, is this really you? And Lord, am I really willing to be obedient to you through this process? Because God, he gets blamed for a lot of things. God, he gets blamed for a lot of things. You know who's the second person that gets blamed for the most things that aren't his fault? The devil, right? God and the devil, they get blamed for everything. Lord, you're calling me to do this. God, you called me to make this decision. And then sometimes it's a train wreck. The marriage breaks apart. The kids get hurt. And then we're saying... I, I don't think that was the Lord, right? So for us to really pray and count the cost. The enemy keeps coming. He keeps deceiving me. He keeps lying to me. That's why I fall into sin. No, you fall into sin because you love it. Fall into sin because that's really what's in our heart. The temptation is there. The lust is there. And we don't cut it off. And that's why we fall prey to it. So again, family, let's count the cost. Let's say, Lord, is this really what you're calling me to do? And Lord, strengthen me to run into it. So again, his brothers, they're already angered. They're already bothered. And then he says, hey, guys, I have another dream on top of that. And now not only is it your 11 sheaves bowing down to me, but now the moon, the sun, the stars, they're all bowing down to me. They get envious. They get mad. But it's interesting. Israel, he thinks about it. He keeps it in mind. And I have to believe he's being reminded when he dreamed and the Lord spoke to him through his dream. And he's saying, wow, Lord, are you doing something here with Joseph? Lord, what is the plan? Again, it's the kid he loves most. Lord, what's the plan that you have here for Joseph? And we should be reminded of Genesis chapter 41. This is a bit of a spoiler alert if you guys don't know the ending of this story. But in Genesis 41, we see the Lord's incredible work through Joseph through injustice, through hurt, through brokenness. And now he meets up with Pharaoh. And in Genesis chapter 41, verse 32, Pharaoh gives him a dream. And in verse 32 it tells us, And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God. And God will shortly bring it to pass. That again, the way the Lord speaks to us emphasizing things, it's not like many of us in our culture that we just repeat the same thing and we just get louder and louder and we just start screaming it, right? When we try to get someone's attention, when we try to emphasize, we scream it. Or maybe we put it in caps lock. Maybe we add some emojis or some gifts or something like that, right? But the way the Lord emphasizes things to us in his word is he repeats it. And he repeats it. And he repeats it. So again, just advice for us right when we're praying about a decision allow the lord to repeat himself that you're studying god's word and a verse sticks out to you wow lord that's amazing let me chew on this let me wait on this you're driving to work listening to god's way radio and a teacher says the same verse wow lord that's crazy you're chewing on it you're waiting on it then you're at men's meeting on tuesday and somebody shares the same verse wow lord you're speaking to me that's the way we really hear and know that the lord is speaking to us so again, his brothers envied him, but his father keeps it in mind. Then we continue, going back to Genesis 37. It tells us in verse 12, Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel 
He said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, Here I am. And then he said to him, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks, and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron, and he went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him, and there he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What are you seeking? So he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, They have departed from here, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph, he went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now again, this is very interesting. If you remember, Jacob, when he was supposed to go back to Bethel, he stays in Shechem. He's not obedient to the Lord fully because Shechem, it had great pasture for flocks. It was a very fertile area. So Jacob, instead of going to the house of God, instead of going to the house of worship, he stays in a fertile land that will bless his pocket, bless his business, bless his money. Instead of saying, Lord, where's going to bless my family? Lord, where are you calling me to? Now, if you remember while he was in Shechem, what did it cost him? It costed his daughter being defiled and being hurt. Then he doesn't speak up to the injustice happening or the sin happening. And now his oldest two sons, they go out there. They seek revenge. Like always with revenge. You don't do revenge to the same amount. You go way overboard. And now these two men, they wreck the entire city and area of Shechem. So now these men, they're going to feed their father's flock, protect their father's flock. They decide to go back to Shechem. Perhaps they tried to get in and they said, no, guys, you're not allowed back in here, right? Maybe their pictures were at the front of the city gates and they said, no, you guys are wanted on here. You guys aren't allowed back in. So now they go to Dotham, which is a neighboring city. And Joseph, again, all he's doing is being obedient to his dad. That's all Joseph is doing. He's not out here looking for it. He's just trying to be obedient to dad. Go check on your brothers and come back and give me word of what's going on with them. But now in verse 18, we see the darkness and the sin, the unchecked bitterness and envy within these ten brothers. It tells us in verse 18, Now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. Again, this isn't a sterile environment. This isn't just black and white lettering. These are 10 grown men looking at their little 17-year-old brother coming far away, and they can see. They see that tie-dye shirt. They see that rainbow Gucci suit, right? And they say, man, he's coming. That stinking dreamer is coming. And in their bitterness, in their envy, they begin to think, let's kill him, right? Maybe this is where we get snitches, get stitches. I don't know, right? They say, let's kill him. 
We're going to wreck him. We're going to destroy him. Enough of the tattletaling, enough of him being the favorite, enough of him getting what I deserve. Let's get rid of him. And yet we don't see any of the ten brothers truly standing up for righteousness. If you remember with Dinah, it was on the brothers' consciences because they were supposed to take care of their little siblings. They were supposed to take care of their little brothers and sisters. In this culture, that was on them. And yet they see their little brother coming. They don't say, how can we protect them? How can we take care of him? No, they begin to premeditate their murder upon their brother. And again, in the heart of being the sons of Jacob, not only do they premeditate their murder against him, but now they give away their alibi, right? Perhaps a beast came upon him. Perhaps on his way out here, some wolves got him, a lion got him, a bear got him. I don't know, Dad. I don't know what happened here. And again, parents, we have to be careful on the way we act our lives. We can't just do do as I say and not as I do because we see Jacob's sons acting a whole lot like Jacob. A whole lot like Jacob. A whole lot like their granddad Laban. We need to be careful. We need to speak the truth in love. Even when it's our own sin. Even when it's asking forgiveness to our own kids, we need to be proclaiming and raising up the word of God above even our own pride and our own notoriety within our family. Again, they gather together, come, let's kill him, let's throw him into a pit, and we'll just say a wild beast devoured him. Now Reuben, the oldest brother, again, maybe the herd of Dinah is still on his mind. Maybe the hurt of what he did to his dad with one of his concubines is in his mind, is hurting him. But he's trying to play the line. He's trying to play the line. He wants to stand up for what's right, but he doesn't want to be out there and open and say, this is wrong, guys. You need to stop what you're doing. So he simply tells him, hey, shed no blood, throw him into the pit, don't lay a hand on him. And his plan was to later on in the middle of the night go Get Joseph out of the pit and take him back to his dad. And family, what we're going to see is the danger of trying to play both sides. I don't know if you've ever found yourself trying to play both sides. You're trying to play both sides. You don't want to call sin for what it is, but you also don't want to just stand by with some evil or atrocious thing happening. More than ever, as I see it in person, within the body of believers, even online, we need to speak the truth and love. I was talking with someone after the service. Speaking the truth and love with boldness, it doesn't mean that you're screaming the truth on the, on the mountaintops. It doesn't mean that you're filled with pride or filled with emotion or filled with righteous indignation. No, God's word tells us in Proverbs, it's the soft word that turns away wrath, right? The soft tongue, right? The soft words are able to break the bone. So being able to speak the truth in love, it might not be super loud or great emotion or great anger behind it, but it's that still, small voice. Guys, how can we do this to Joseph? How can we do this to little Joe, man? What's wrong with you guys? I know he's annoying sometimes. I know he's tattletailed on us, but we can't kill our own flesh and blood. But Reuben, he doesn't stand up for righteousness. So verse 23 through 24, again, imagine what's going on here. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him, 
and they took him and they cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat a meal. Again, the darkness within these brothers. This isn't just black and white. This is 11 brothers that they look at their little brother and they grab him. They rip his clothes off of him. They throw him into a well. A well at this time period is 10 to 30 feet deep. They throw him down a well. There's no water for him to dive or cannonball at the bottom of it. But they throw him into the well. He hits the bottom. And now what do they decide to do? Hey, let's sit down and eat. Let's sit down and hang out. Let's sit down and relax. The deed is done. And family, may we not look at this and say, man, how disgusting, how terrible are these men. But we should look at our own lives and say, Lord, how gracious are you with me? Christ, how gracious, how loving, how kind are you, Lord Jesus, to me? Because we've done the same thing to Christ. Family, we are not above this. Don't think that you are above this or that you are more holy than this or that you are better than this because then you have forgotten where you have come from. You have forgotten the grace of God on your life. We need to look at this and be broken saying, Lord, how I've done the same to you. Right? How Jesus says it's not enough just to murder someone. If you even just think of murder in your heart, in your mind, if you post that meme or make that joke, in your heart you have committed murder. For us to be there when it comes to sin, when it comes to unrighteousness. In Hebrews chapter 42, it gives us a greater idea. It paints the picture better of really what was going on here. Genesis chapter 42, verse 21. Here again, a little bit of a spoiler. The brothers go later on and they see Joseph. And now Joseph is testing them to see if they've changed to say if they would do the same wrong things to his younger brother Benjamin. But in Genesis chapter 42 verse 21, they then said to one another, We are truly guilty concerning our brother. For we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us. And we would not hear. Therefore this distress has come upon us. Again, this wasn't just quietness, nothing. Joseph is screaming for his life. He's clawing. You have this young 17-year-old kid trying to get 10 grown men off of him, kicking and screaming, trying to be free, thrown into the bottom of a pit. Maybe he's concussed. And then what do these brothers do? They sit down to eat a meal. Again, family, we're more than capable of this. May we continue to cry out to the Lord, Lord, forgive us of our sins. Lord, cleanse us. Lord, keep me from following, falling into things like this. Genesis 37, verse 25, they sit down to eat a meal. And then they lifted their eyes and they looked and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices and balm and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. His brothers listened. Then Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Again, family, we need to be careful with unchecked bitterness 
and anger and envy in our heart. We need to be so careful of this. Judah, again, the other thing for us to look at is, man, these are the most important tribes of Israel. Levi did what? Judah did what? And Lord, you still use them? This should bring us some comfort because of God, you're able to use these men and these atrocities and terribleness. Lord, I think you could use me, right? Hopefully none of you have premeditated murder on your younger brother and threw him down a well. I hope not, right? The Lord can use you. The Lord, he wants to use you for his glory, but will you allow him? Will you let go of sin? Will you let go of pleasure? And say, Lord, I'm going to follow you no matter what. So again, Judah, right? The tribe of Israel, the tribe of Jesus, right? The lion of Judah. He's the one that says, hey, why are we just going to kill him and make up a lion excuse? Let's, let's make something off of this. Let's make some money off of our younger brother, Joseph. Let's do something with him. They see these Midianite traders passing by. They pull Joseph up. I can't imagine if you're Joseph, all the emotions going through your mind. They pull you up. Maybe you're thinking, woof, that was a bad beating. But, man, maybe we're going to go home now only to see, man, being sold off into slavery. right? Being sold into trafficking. His very own brother's. The agony, the anguish, the screaming, the crying, the pleading that must have transpired. And yet none of these brothers stood up for righteousness. Not one of the ten was willing to say, guys, this is wrong. We can't do this. Dad, he's super old. How are we going to do this to dad? Dad, he just lost the woman that raised him. How can we do this to dad? Dad, he just lost Rebecca, the wife he loved the most. Guys, how can we do this to dad? Dad, he just lost his own dad. Grandpa just died. Guys, how can we do this to dad? Nobody stood up for righteousness. Everyone just stayed silent. So they sell him away for 20 shekels of silver, verse 28, and they took Joseph to Egypt. Now let's look at some of the commonalities of Joseph and of Jesus Christ, right? Hopefully you can start to see some of them, the things that Christ went through, the things that Joseph is going through. You can write down Luke chapter 20, verse 17. It tells us, this is Jesus speaking in the book of Psalms. He refers to, he says, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And again, Joseph, he's this beautiful picture of Jesus being despised, being plotted against, sold for a couple pieces of silver by the very men closest to him. And yet, What the enemy meant for evil, God turned it around for good. Again, how men, how we have despised Jesus. Do you remember when you despised Jesus? Have you forgotten that? I remember. I don't know if you've forgotten that. It's not good to forget that, right? It's good to remember that. Yeah, I was once of this, but now the Lord has done all this work, and now he calls me his son. He adopts me. He says, I'm heir to the throne. I'm brothers with Christ. What in the world is going on? But Jesus... All these injustices, and yet he stayed silent. And now he's the savior of mankind. The very religious leaders that crucified him, he died to save their sins. He died to save them from hell for all of eternity. Joseph, he sold into slavery. And later on, who's the one that saves these same brothers? Who's the one that saves their wives? Who's the one that saves their children? It's Joseph. It's Joseph. We can turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. And here we get a great reminder of who Jesus was. 
and is and how we, again, as Christians, as followers of God, as disciples of Jesus, how we should be living. First Peter chapter 2, and we'll quickly read verses 18 through 25. It tells us, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. If because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if you are beaten for your faults and you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Again, family, when he was reviled, he reviled not. Later on, we'll see how good Joseph is to his mean older brothers, to his younger brother Benjamin, and to his dad. And family, if we're looking for justice, it truly won't come here in this time period. I hope we get to go back to Israel, but you're able to look at the Valley of Megiddo, right? The Valley of Armageddon, and there, once and for all, Jesus will come and will execute justice for all of eternity. May we be looking forward to that day. May we cry out for that day. Again, may we cry out to the Lord. We look at David, right? He never executed revenge for himself. He was ready. He was prepared. But he allowed the Lord to do his thing. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 50. And in Genesis 50, we see the wisdom of Joseph, the words of Joseph, and we can be reminded, even in this dark season of our lives, what our Lord and God is capable of, right? We sung that beautiful song, how even when we don't see it, man, he is working. But in Genesis chapter 50, verse 19 through 21, it tells us, Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Again, family, this is how we should react when people hurt us, when people harm us. We shouldn't be Right, Just a rag that we allow them to beat into all of eternity. But if people are seeking forgiveness, if people are seeking restoration, it's not time for us to stiff arm them. It's time for us to say, Lord, you've forgiven me. Lord, how much have you forgiven me? Lord, how can I not forgive them? We like to recite the Lord's Prayer, but we forget sometimes that we say, we recite it. Lord, forgive them, Lord, as I Lord, help me to forgive them as you have forgiven me. Lord, forgive me as I have forgiven them. There's that worry, there's that concern there that we need to be about. 
So if there's bitterness in our heart, if there's envy, if there's lack of forgiveness, prepárate, right? Get ready because this is how the Lord is going to deal with us. We could jump back to Genesis 37, verse 29. It tells us, then Reuben returned to the pit. And indeed, Joseph was not in the pit. And he tore his clothes. He returned to his brothers and said, the lad is no more. And I... Where shall I go? Again, he's the oldest. He's supposed to be taking care of the younger brothers, the younger sisters. And now Joseph is gone. Verse 31, so they took Joseph's tunic and they killed a kid of the goats. They dipped the tunic in blood and then they sent the tunic of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, we have found this. Do you know where, whether it is your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it. And he said, it is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him without a doubt. Joseph is torn in pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted. And he said, for I shall go down into the grave to my son this in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt, speaking of Joseph, to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. Here, family, we can be reminded to be careful because what you sow, you will reap, right? And if you're reminded, Jacob, he deceives his dad by killing a goat, by using its blood, by using its skin to deceive his own dad, and now Jacob, Israel's own sons, They kill a little goat, and they use it to deceive him. So again, we need to be careful the way we're living. It it bleeds into our family. It bleeds into everyone around us. We're the body of Christ. So if you're in sin and unrepentant, you're affecting me. If I'm in sin and I'm unrepentant, I'm going to affect you. Same is true for the family unit. And it continues to grow within the family of Christ. And this... Injustice, this atrocity is going to affect all these brothers really until the day that the Lord blesses them by protecting Joseph and being able to see them again. It ate away at their conscience. It was eating away at their minds for the next 20 years. So again, for us to forgive, for us to be able to love, for us to not look like this world or commend the world when the world isn't doing things properly. May we live biblically and may we cry out for Christians to live biblically. May we cry out for the gospel, Jesus, save us. Lord, come and save us now.